0: Actually really see a lot of set, uh, success with evergreen stuff. Hmm. So really what you can do is you can set up your courses evergreen and still have timers where it looks like, you know, open and closed cart with tools like deadline funnels. So it seems live, but you can really run it on.
1: Welcome it. back to Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Crater. Today, we're sitting down with Lena Elkins, who is the founder and CEO of LEC. Today, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. The first thing we're going to be talking about is online courses, okay? Because I know a lot of you guys have approached me and and told me that you want to get involved in the information industry, um, start creating online courses, digital programs. That is the first thing we're going to be talking about because Lena has an extensive uh, line of experience in that. She's created multiple different programs, um, launched them very successfully, and had a lot of massive success with that. So we want to talk about coaching. We're going to talk about consulting because that's her main business model right now, okay? And that's what LEC does. They coach aspiring young entrepreneurs on how they can begin to grow, scale, multiply their business. So, that's what we're going to be talking about today in this episode of the podcast. I'm super stoked to talk with Lena. She is somebody who I really look up to. She's doing a lot of massive, massive things. So, I'm super stoked to get into the episode. So, wherever you guys are at right now, whether you are uh, walking the dog, commuting to work, whatever you are doing while you're listening to this episode of the show, I want you guys to sit back, relax, plug in, and enjoy this episode of Young Smart Money with Lena Elkins. All right, Lena, welcome to Young Smart Money. How are you doing today?
0: I'm awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. So our listeners got to hear a little bit about you in the intro to this episode. But for those of them that aren't familiar with who you are, what you're currently up to right now, could you give us a quick like 30 to 60 second intro as to what you're currently doing?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I run a company called LEC, Lena Elkins Coaching, which teaches service-based entrepreneurs. How to scale their influence, impact, and income—you know, really in all areas of their businesses and lives—really elevating that, both on the mindset side and also on the business and marketing strategy side. So that's a bit about what we do, and we do that through course creation, through one-on-one coaching, masterminds, all that good stuff. And uh, we travel a lot, we speak and train, and uh, yeah, we're based in Tel Aviv, Israel.
1: Awesome. I love it. So you're doing a couple different things right now. I'm super stoked to dive into uh, each and every one of those. But before we do, I'd like to start all the episodes off, um, because we do have a younger listener base here, talking about your um, early upbringing. So we're talking like middle school, high school years. So during that time period, um, tell tell us about that. Were you somebody who was into school, into entrepreneurship? What was that looking like for you?
0: I was definitely not into school, and I had no idea what entrepreneurship even was. So I think in my mind, because I wasn't generically good at grades and, you know, that kind of a thing, the classroom environment, I always thought I wasn't necessarily very smart or I wouldn't achieve a lot, and I think my parents secretly thought the same thing, Um, but little did I know, I just had my own way of thinking and of creating and of building things, and I was always much more passionate about you know, building and implementing than just learning and studying. So Hmm. from an early age, I was a goofball and, uh, you know, never knew about entrepreneurship, but it was definitely something I was born for.
1: Super cool. So in that time period, like, were you getting into music? Were you like getting into sports? Like what, what were you, what were you doing with your time? Like in high school?
0: Yeah. So I was really into dance. I was on dance teams throughout high school and that was a great outlet for me. And I also was really into organizing, uh, you know, fundraisers and things like that. So I was really involved in my synagogue and the youth group and all that kind of stuff. So organizing people, you know, I was a president of my youth group. So organizing, fundraising, hosting events. Um, I was always about bringing people together. So that was my big thing.
1: Hmm. What was the draw to bringing people together for you?
0: You know, I think I've always just been a connector. I'm fascinated by the human story. Like I could sit down with anybody and ask a million questions and be super annoying, but it's because I'm genuinely interested and excited. And I love bridging people together and showing what's possible for people when they come together and when they, you know, communicate on a deeper level. So huh. Yeah.
1: Okay, so how does that bridging translate into where you're at now and like filling the gap between those two? Like did you go to college or what did that space look like between then and now?
0: Yeah, so I went to college, University of Oregon, Go Ducks. Uh, I'm originally from California, and again, I was always involved in local nonprofits, in a Jewish student groups, and organizing people, bringing people together. You know, helping people really develop and find their identities and purposes. And you know, really, who they were trying to become, which is always something that was very natural. I think I always loved giving advice and supporting people, and kind of being a mentor and a good friend in that way. And so, for me, when I graduated, I ended up moving from Oregon to Tel Aviv. (laughs) Um, That is when I basically realized, wow, I could really apply this in a career. And so, I got started in marketing, which is all about you know communicating your message in a way that's compelling and authentic and, and real. And so, that's when I got started in marketing and then from there I basically long story short built a marketing agency which was very successful and then at the time I was like 23 and a lot of fellow Millennials were coming to me basically saying like I also want to quit my job I also want to start my own business how to do, do that and that's when I transitioned into coaching because I was able to teach business and marketing in a way that was easy for people to understand even people who didn't have that background like I didn't necessarily have Um, Being able to communicate that and kind of bridge that gap with ease and fun was, you know, kind of a natural skill set of mine.
1: For sure. So first of all, talk to us about that marketing agency because it sounds like prior to this you were doing some like activism community work, but you hadn't really started a business before. So when did you decide to transition into the world of entrepreneurship and like what was the draw or what was the motivation to do that?
0: Yeah, so graduated from college realized that everyone else around me who had recently graduated was struggling to get entry level jobs and internships, and it was just so massively unappealing to me. And I just thought maybe there's a way to do something else. Again, I never knew any entrepreneurs. I never really knew anyone who had taken like an unconventional path. But at the time, my younger sister was actually living in Israel. And so I thought, might as well pack my bags and try to start a new life there. So I did, and it was apparent very early on that I had actually made my situation so much harder because not only was I a recent college graduate without any, like, formal work experience or hard skills, um, but I didn't speak the language, and I didn't have the community, and I didn't know anyone. And so for me, coming in really as an immigrant, right, I was living in an immigrant absorption center, couldn't even afford to pay rent. The only job that I could get was actually working in a grocery store, like, literally not even qualified enough to like do the cash register, just unboxing things. So then from there, I was like, okay, Lena, think bigger. Maybe there are other organizations here who I can get involved with, other Jewish organizations that have had my experience. And so a local nonprofit, uh, which is Jewish, based in Tel Aviv and also in New York, had an opening for an entry-level social media marketing position. And I didn't know anything about social media marketing, but they're like, you know, you're, you're 22 and you know how the internet works, so we'll hire you. Uh, and they did, and that was my first experience in marketing formally. Um, again, I had done a lot of like kind of the marketing and promotions for nonprofits and whatnot, but I only lasted there for about 10 months because even though I was good at the job and it was a natural skill set for me and I was good at getting people's attention online and you know building engaging communities, I hated the nine-to-five structure. Um, mm-hmm. I felt capped at a very low income salaries here are much lower, but you know, prices for living are much higher. And so I just realized like, if I really want to build a life here and make this work for me, I have to find a way to apply these skills on my own and cut out that middleman of the employer. How can I work directly with the end client and get paid much more, set my own rates and be able to work on my own schedule. Hmm. And so before I was looking at the situation as like, wow, I'm really lacking here, you know, from a scarcity perspective. But then yeah. I thought, well, where's the abundance here? What's my unique skill set? And I realized, hello, you're living in a startup nation. There are hundreds of startups here who are all putting products out into the world, primarily for an American or English speaking, you know, base. And they don't speak English, and they can't speak in English well, and they can't write compelling copy and, you know, sales stuff and whatever. And so then I realized that I had the skill set, not only the skill set, but specifically in English. And that's where I was able to realize that there was a need and really no one else had tapped into that market at the somebody who could specifically help with social media and content marketing on an English front with the Israeli startup community. And so literally I quit my job one day. I like launched, okay, didn't know anything about this. Posted in a few Facebook groups like, hey guys, I'm starting a freelance business. Who wants to work with me? I was filled up within about a week and it only grew and grew and grew from there. And then, you know, started bringing on team members and uh, all that good stuff. So I was fortunate. I noticed the market started looking at it from a positive end instead of scarcity. And, uh, you know, things grew much faster than I could have ever hoped for.
1: So yeah. Yeah, that's huge. So one thing that you really touched on there that I think is really important for the younger listeners to to internalize is the fact that like you saw a problem that you could provide a solution for. And that's something that I see a lot of people getting like distracted from like they want to do drop shipping because they see people making money drop shipping. They're not doing drop shipping to solve a problem. So How would you advise a younger listener to go about identifying a problem that they have the ability to solve um, in the world around them?
0: Yeah, I think even beyond looking at the problems that need solving, find out what you're into. And Mm. I don't love the word passionate because I think a lot of people think you have to be like over-the-mood obsessed with something to be passionate. Find the things that naturally interest you. What are the conversations you enjoy having when you have friends or family or people in your world who need advice what conversations do you really get into and where can you provide that support because you could get into drop shipping or a million different things but if you're not excited about that and you're not excited about the value that you're bringing and you're not excited about the people that you're helping you're going to get burnt out real fast and that's ultimately what happened with my marketing agency is i was making a lot of money and i was doing really well at a young age but like i wasn't so excited about the clients that i had you know um, Uh, They were a lot of like older men, and as a 22 year old girl, it often felt condescending or just weird. And you know, I just realized like millennials would appreciate me so much more, and I really like helping them and serving them. And so, for me, that's the first thing you have to look for something that lights you up inside naturally, because otherwise, it's just not going to be sustainable. It has to be something that you're willing to get deeper and deeper and deeper into voluntarily, just because it's fun for you, not for the money or anything else. Now, in terms of figuring out the skill sets that you have that can really serve people, it's so much easier. And I think that a lot of younger entrepreneurs, because there's so much information about there, um, it's easy to make it so complicated, you know, and it's easy to overthink it and just want to plan, 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 plan instead of actually executing. So for me, I just started paying attention to, like, what are people complimenting me on, you know? Think about in your own life. What do people say, wow, how did you get that skill? Can you teach me how to do that? Or, hey, I know you really excelled in this. Can you help me out with something? Or, hey, I would love your opinions if you have all this experience in this. Just start listening to the conversations that you have and don't overthink it. You know, they say that you don't have to be, or I say, I guess, you don't have to be like the Beyonce of whatever it is that you do. You just have to be half the the people that you're helping. So don't worry about, you know, when you were a kid and you wanted to learn how to make pasta and your mom's like, I'll teach you how to make pasta. You weren't like, mom, show me those culinary degrees first and show me all the expertise. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's the same thing with us. You just have to pay attention to what skill sets you already have, even if you're only half a step ahead. And then after that, you just have to execute and go out and test and try and have conversations. And that's really where you're going to learn if it's a good match. But it's hard to plan it ahead of time and zoom without actually executing and testing it.
1: Mm, that's the truth. And I really like the half a step ahead part. And that's that's kind of the gist behind this podcast is like, I want to give younger people um, the, the, the voices of other young people who are doing cool stuff. It might just be like a few steps ahead of you instead of t- like, here, like, you can learn a lot from like the Jeff Bezoses and like the Elon Musks, but like they are so far ahead, and like their experiences are just like so far removed from what we're currently going through as young people that that it's harder to directly relate. So that's why I'm talking to people like you, um, and and I think that brings a lot of value to a younger listener. So I'm I'm really glad you brought that that notion up.
0: Yeah, no, I'm happy to. It's hugely important. I think that that's one of the big problems, like you said, is there are so many of these massive influencers who have been building their businesses for the past 10 years, and then they'll put out a webinar or whatever that's like, oh, you can achieve all of what I've achieved in the next 20 minutes. And then people think that there's something wrong with them, and they get discouraged. Maybe this isn't for me. Maybe it's too hard. None of that is true. You're just listening to the wrong people. Yep. And there are so many people who are young and who are doing amazing, amazing stuff. Listen to those voices. You know, that's it. For
1: sure. So you, you weren't loving the clients you were working with, so is, is this the point where you transitioned into the coaching side of things?
0: Yep, exactly.
1: Awesome. So what was, or like why why coaching? Like what made you think like, I want to become a coach instead of um, sticking with like the social media marketing side of things?
0: Yeah, you know what's funny? When I first got started, I actually had no interest in being a coach. I was really interested in course creation. And oh. I started out creating a lot of courses and I loved it and they were selling and it was fun. But then I started to see a gap, and I think that now, I mean, this was in like early 2016 or late 2016, I guess, but now looking at this, you see that courses, a lot of the time, they have a low completion rate and has something to do with the quality of the course. It's just because people need accountability and people need step-by-step direction and support. And when you just hand them a DIY course and say, good luck, Ultimately, it doesn't serve anyone. It doesn't serve them because they're not generating the results that they could if I had actually been there holding their hand. And I don't ultimately win because I'm not getting testimonials for that, you know. And ultimately, it's just this cycle that doesn't serve us. So, again, I think that's a great example. Like, a lot of people just want to create courses and whatever. Again, don't just think of what's going to work for you and what's convenient for you. Think about what's in the best interest of your target market. And what I found is what my target market needed was so much more uh, beyond just the marketing skills, Facebook ads, whatever, that I could teach. And of course, people really needed to step into the mindset of a confident and successful and focused leader. And that's something I found was a bit more difficult um, to teach. Yeah, of course. So that's when I just saw a need. Again, I saw the people in need. I saw that I could offer it. I've always loved having one on one, you know, deep conversations, helping support people, whatever. And um, yeah, and also a lot of people started asking, me, like, hey, can you teach me how to do this stuff? Would you mind sitting down for coffee and whatever? And then it was just these small bits of data that started coming at me that said, hey, maybe we can try this out. And yeah, that was it.
1: Awesome. So let's touch on the course creation side of things for a second, because I have a a lot of listeners like approaching me saying, hey, I'm trying to launch my first course. I'm trying to like get into the course creation business, information business. Um, So so talk to us about that process for you. How were you, um, first of all, just like getting people aware of you and the products that you were offering?
0: Yeah. So in the beginning, it was pretty organic at that point. I wasn't into paid media at all, but early on, I started getting featured in a few small media outlets Hmm. um, daily and just like some small, especially like college-relevant publications for the work that I was doing. Um, And that's initially how I started to get traffic. And in fact, and this is important to probably for your listeners to realize you guys don't have to go get featured right away in like Forbes and Entrepreneur and NBC and all these places. Because I'll tell you right now, there's one article that that year I got featured, I think it was like in, in social media today or something that's like, you know, a well known publication, but fairly niche, fairly small, definitely not Forbes. That one article to this day drives me more traffic and more leads and more clients than anything else I've ever written before, for Forbes or Entrepreneur or, you know, Success Magazine or right. you So don't worry about getting featured in like the big places. It's about where you can establish credibility and they have a committed uh, readership and audience. So that's a little insert there. So in the beginning, it was just organic media. Um, I opened up my Facebook group in twenty sixteen, Millennial Go Getters, which was specifically for, you know, millennials trying to build businesses online, and uh, that grew pretty, grew pretty organically as well. Started doing small partnership summits, things like that, and only in I want to say like the end of twenty seventeen did we really get into Facebook ads, like heavy and seriously. Like, my hmm. husband, by the way, he's my business partner. Um, and so he also separately has his own ad agency. And so he just mastered the craft, started building a team around it. And now that is our main source of Legion. That's consistent, that's scalable. Because even like in 2016, 2017, uh, content marketing, you could get a long way organically. You yeah. know, you blogging and YouTube and whatever. Today, uh, social media is primarily a paid to is game. kind of a direction. You know, these platforms don't necessarily support organic Stuff with their algorithms. And so for us, we knew that we wanted to be able to generate a consistent and predictable and scalable number of leads every single month and really dial it in. Okay, what's the cost of those leads? How much does it cost to convert them into paying clients? And then how do we scale that? basically? Mm. So That's our main play now.
1: For sure. So when you were first starting off, is there anything that you wish you would have known about creating courses that you think would be beneficial for a younger listener who has yet to release their first course?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, one of the biggest pieces of advice that I can give is run a beta round first. Hmm. So identify a few people who either you can let them join for free. Although I really recommend at least at a really low price point because you do want people to have skin in the game and actually yeah. to complete it. And so definitely test it with people beforehand, and don't be afraid to like test it for a few rounds until you really feel like it's high quality. You know, the best courses that I know that I've created. These are things that we've like gone through 10 or 15 or even like 20 rounds of edits before officially launching it to the world to really make sure that it's dialed in, to really make sure um, that it's going to serve people at the highest level. And also with courses, I think it's okay to include some kind of a uh, group element. So basically what we have is for all of our courses now that we sell, we have two monthly group calls where everybody can just hop on and ask any of their questions. It's like an open book. So you go through the course material, but you still can receive that one-on-one coaching feedback or not one-on-one, but in a group setting. And it's such a small effort on my part, like it takes two hours of my month. Yeah. It goes such a long way for them. So definitely including some kind of a live component is huge. And also a third piece, but I think it's some of these things are obvious, but it's important to know. Never ever ever launch a course if you don't have an audience yet. Like you're gonna put all this effort into it, you're gonna launch into the world and it's gonna be crickets and you're gonna feel bad and it's gonna discourage you. Build an audience around free content first, get them excited about the course, even start building a waiting list as you're building it and working on it, and then launch it only when you know that there's a real market.
1: Absolutely. So when you launch a course, do you make a big event out of it? Um, do you like open and close your course? Or like what does that process look like for you when you were when you were more involved in the course side of things?
0: Yeah, um, we did it both ways. So some of them we would do live launches. I personally find live launches to be exhausting. Like whether it's for courses or whether it's for a one-one stuff for masterminds, like I really try to avoid it. And we actually really see a lot of set, uh, success with Evergreen stuff. Mm. So really what you can do is you can set up your courses Evergreen and still have timers where it looks like, you know, open and closed cart with tools like deadline funnels. So it seems live, but you can really run it on Evergreen and then you don't have to worry about it and feel stressed about launch time. Um, so that's kind of the way that I think is better to do it.
1: Mm, absolutely and like yeah myself having having done both sides of things like i would i would definitely say evergreen is going to be a lot less like stressful and like because you can you can yeah. set all these things up ahead of time and not have to like the week of just be completely freaking out about all the different things you have to remember all the different things that are happening um so yeah i would i would definitely agree with that <laughs> yeah
0: it's a lot of moving pieces you know i oh, think yeah. a lot of people they like, just think of like oh a launch i'm just gonna like write a few posts and whatever like no there's a lot of stuff mm-hmm. a lot of details lot of. <laughs> Technical stuff that goes into a live launch. So definitely know what you're getting into if you're gonna take
1: that route. That's the truth. So now let's transition into uh, more of the coaching side of things because I know that's more where you're active right now. So talk to us about that first sort of few months getting involved into coaching. What did that look like for you? Were you mostly talking to your existing course students and like trying to transition them into a coaching program? Did you already have people that were like teach me like individually? What did that process look like for you in the very beginning?
0: Yeah, in the very beginning, again, one of the first things that I did is I opened up my Facebook group, Millennial Go Getters, and people started naturally filtering in. I think in the first month or two, uh, I created some kind of a lead magnet. It was like a 10 steps to building sure. a, like a six-figure whatever agency, um, and that's, that's what I put out into the world, and then between, I guess, that lead magnet, just kind of letting it filter organically, organically, and then the Facebook group, and then getting featured in a few uh, outlets people started coming my way one by one. But the group grew fairly quickly. And I would say that for my first probably 15 clients, um, my leads just, you know, they organically came from the
1: group. Hmm. So in that group, were you consistently posting content? Were you leaving it up to the other group members to keep it active? Or what, did, what was your involvement in that group?
0: Yeah, I was really involved in the group. Um, and it was awesome. I would go at the time, could you even go live? Was that even a thing? I don't remember. But we definitely, I don't know. We definitely posted uh, all the time. I was really engaged, asking questions, talking to people one-on-one. And engagement was just really high. And people also asked really good questions. And sometimes I would uh, host, like, interviews. Basically, so I'll do, like, a month-long interview series where I would bring people on and interview different experts, which was a lot of fun. Um, and, yeah, just keeping it fun and light. And, again, not making the business piece so heavy, but keeping it, you know, accessible for people who didn't necessarily have the experience. So, yeah, and I think also sharing my own story, I think for mm. a lot of early stage entrepreneurs, it's very difficult to talk about yourself and what you've achieved because, you know, an American and in a lot of cultures, it's kind of come, comes off as conceited or whatever. But really, that was a big for me. was getting over that and realizing that people ultimately don't want to buy your products and services. People a lot of the time are buying you and your personality and your story and you are the heroic character that you know they're following and watching achieve all these things, and that's really inspiring them. So, getting comfortable sharing more lifestyle stuff and behind the scenes stuff, and uh, through that, people really started to build relationships with me and feel connected. And that uh, ended up spinning into an email list, which started growing, and uh, Instagram, and, yeah, all over.
1: Awesome. So, so talk to us now about, uh, I'm always interested in, in feelings of, of doubt, because that's something that I face a lot as an entrepreneur, feeling like I'm not good enough, um, experiencing the imposter syndrome. So has that ever been something that you struggled with in, in this moving into coaching space? Totally,
0: for sure. But I think that uh, I, I just trusted that I didn't have to believe every thought that I had, hmm. you know, that that's all that it was. I knew that I didn't want anything to stop me. I knew it was possible. I knew I wasn't the best, but I think that I didn't set that expectation for myself at the beginning that like, I have to be the best. I have to impress everybody, whatever. Again, it was just like, I don't have to be amazing. I just have to be half a step ahead. I have to have a little bit more experience than these other people, which I have. And if I can do that, then that's enough, right? So I didn't set such a high bar for myself. And I also didn't Compare myself to everybody. And I think that that was a big thing for me in the beginning. Like now, of course, I know all of the influencers and thought leaders and whatever. At the time, I didn't know anybody in this industry or anybody in this space, which might make me look ignorant or naive, but for me, it was the best thing I could have done because there was nobody for me to compare myself to or my journey to. I was just focused on me and being a little bit better than I was yesterday, every day. And that was it. But ultimately, it's realizing that, and this is obviously something I've worked on for a lot of years now. All these thoughts of imposter syndrome and doubt, they can't hurt us. You know, they're just fear. And it's just our own brain's way of trying to protect us. You know, our brain, they're not as advanced as we uh, think that they are basically, you know. And so the second that we think that we're not good enough or something might be scary or feel fearful or dangerous, our brain, like, sends off these alarms. It's the worst possible thing that can happen to us. And that's when we start catastrophizing. you know, when we think that things, are so much worse in reality than they actually are and so just realizing that we do have the ability to control our thoughts and our own beliefs about ourselves and ultimately what sits in your mind is what lands in your lap, right so if you can control your thoughts, then your you know what's going on on the outside is going to change drastically so it has to start with your mind and then your execution will look very different.
1: So do you have any like formal processes for sort of like controlling your thoughts? Like are you, do you meditate? Um, do you have any like routines that sort of foster that ability to really control what you're thinking?
0: Yeah, um, I'm not a meditator. I've tried a lot. Something I've, don't, I'm not a quitter guys. Okay. I've tried hard. Um, but for me, uh, it's a lot of writing. So I love writing and journaling and what I find is that when any issue or insecurity is going on in my mind just spirals and spirals become so intertwined that I don't even have clarity on what the real issue is anymore, let alone a solution. And so when I'm able, like with a blank piece of paper, just put it on paper, things become so much clearer, so much faster. And then it's very easy for me to identify like, these are the thoughts that are serving me. And these are the thoughts that are not. And for these ones aren't, let's rewrite them so that we can manifest a different reality. And so putting it on paper is a regular exercise for me just to keep my brain clear and healthy and not take action on you know emotions versus
1: my thoughts absolutely so as far as 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 getting into the coaching space goes I know you said growing up you didn't really have any other entrepreneurs in your life or any really mentor figures in the world of, of small business have you found people who you now look up to who you now take advice from in the coaching space or are you still mostly sort of like figuring this out yourself
0: so yeah, I've had a lot of coaches over the past few years and mentors and programs that I've been a part of. Um, so definitely, I mean, you know, you cannot achieve anything amazing in your life on your own. And so I think that that's what's allowed me to grow so much. The point we have over the past few years is having those mentors who can say, hey, you know, this proposal coming up, be aware, or hey, you could do this better. Or, hey, I've been there. Your money is better spent here than there, whatever it is. So yeah, that's massive. And it's cut out a huge amount of time that I would have spent in trial and error and frustration and feeling lonely. So definitely whether I'm, you know, paying them as a formal coach or consultant or whatever, or whether they're just good friends or other influencers in the industry, um, having them that I can just pick up the phone and call and ask for advice is a game changer.
1: For sure. So have you been able to connect with these people? Has it been uh, mostly just organically like finding them online? Have you like, specifically like sought out specific like people in certain industries or what does that look like for you
0: it totally depends on the person so i like to think of it you know if you're in high school like i'm the freshman and then there are people who are seniors right mm-hmm. so you can not just go over and sit at their table and reach out and say be my friend you have to like find your avenues and find your connections you know to whatever and so for the people who were seniors when i was a freshman. um I'm not gonna lie, a lot of stalking, a lot of persistence, following up consistently. Um, actually it's something creative that I did uh, for one of my all-time favorite influencers who is now one of my good friends and a mentor and whatever. Um, he wrote a book and I didn't know him, but I thought, hey, maybe I could like get his attention somehow this way. And so what I did is I wrote like a review of the book and how amazing it was, and whatever. And I had reached out to his editor saying, Hey, you know, I'm a writer and can you send me like a a pre-copy of the book before they went live? And she said, yeah, no problem. He sent it to me and I got to write something and then that got his attention. And then he emailed me like, hey, you want to come to LA and like hang out and talk more about the book and what we're doing? I was like, yes, I do. (laughs) So luckily at the time I was in San Francisco and so went from San Francisco to LA wasn't so far, but that like blew me the beautiful friendship. So that was kind of a creative thing that I did, but, Otherwise, you know, just organically being real and being authentic and providing value is really what it is. And something else that I used to do a lot is uh, I would ask people if I could interview them, right? So that's like a pretty good icebreaker. Mm -hmm. So if you can say, hey, I have this Facebook group and we're doing this live series, I would love to interview you. That's a great way to start a relationship versus like, hey, can you just talk to me and be my friend? (laughs) So um, a lot of ways, but ultimately, like I said, being real, being kind and bringing that value.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, as far as coaching goes, um, have you had any really like super uncoachable clients or any like real horror stories that, that you've been able to, to learn from and take lessons from that might help out our listeners?
0: Yeah, totally. Lots of horror stories, guys. <laughs> don't worry, you have to have lots of horror stories or i where yeah. you don't want to get to. Um, I don't want to say lots. We probably had like Five clients over the years that are really like ugh, we can't work with this kind of person again and they're all different in their own ways but what I find consistently um, is there are people who aren't ready to do the real work you know they're still kind of in the learning phase and as coaches I'm not necessarily implemented right so like yeah I mean your click funnels and your Facebook ads checking things editing whatever but for the most part I give you the information I give you the tools I give you the, the framework and then you have to go execute. And I'm here for you every step of the way. If you have questions, if you need help, if you need to learn a new tool, I'm here for you. But ultimately, it's your responsibility. And so those are the clients who they get the information, but they don't execute. And then they say, well, what's going on? Why is this working? Whatever people who aren't ready to take responsibility for doing the hard work, um, those are consistently the people who go generate results. So the people who show up and do the work and take responsibility and entrepreneurs and adults and have ownership over that experience and are willing to do hard things uh, regardless and know that they can do hard things and be successful, even if it's uncomfortable in the meantime, those are the people who really win. But yeah, ultimately people who just uh, – or, okay, so those people. Mm-hmm. And also people who just aren't coachable. Like it's very interesting that people would – pay a high ticket price point to be a part of a coaching program when they already think that they know everything, right? Um, When you tell them to do something, they say, no, we should do it this way. And I'm like, imagine that you paid me this money and you just did exactly what I told you to do and you got results. And they're like, yeah, but that doesn't really go along with my ego or whatever, (laughs) right? So um, those are the two types of clients that, yeah, we typically try not to work with.
1: Mm. Do you have any strategies for like how you weed those people out before they end up like in a coaching session with you?
0: uh yes we have quite a few steps so when people apply to work with us they have to fill out an extensive application um and then we also have an interview call basically where we mm-hmm. see their personality and you know if, if we think that it would be a good fit, either with me or so it's, it's me who does the coaching but then we have three other LEC coaches who do mm-hmm. a lot of our coaching as well um and so with that like sometimes a personality might not, might not be the right fit for me but it would be perfect for one of our other coaches so uh we definitely keep an eye on that throughout that
1: interesting so has that ever been an issue for you that people um, want to work with like lec and they associate lec with you um, but then they end up working with another coach is that something that you have had issues with
0: um, no because they have the option so they can always mm. ask for some people it's really important that they work with me specifically and yeah. if i have availability that month and it's fine if not we'll postpone them until when i have availability um, but a lot of people don't care and, and in fact that was a really big concern of mine yes yeah. Um, are people really buying me? Or are they buying the systems and frameworks? And you know, we get people who want both, either or and so, but for a lot of people, they're really just looking for the direction and that roadmap is gonna get them to where they wanna be, not necessarily me. You know, it's my strategies and systems and formulas and whatever. They're just trained with other coaches, and also these coaches are like very well known and respected in their own right. Um, so oftentimes people who join our programs, they'll know who they are already and mm-hmm. they already trust them and have that brand awareness. Um, So it's worked out pretty well so far.
1: Awesome. So when did you start building out your team? When did you start bringing on additional coaches or just additional help to, to, to help you scale and grow your operations?
0: Yeah, we started that probably two years ago. Uh, bringing on people slowly so at first it was just you know like a freelance copywriter here and there or a video editor or whatever Uh, my husband at the time was in law school and so then he was in law school but then once he graduated he started helping me with small projects and then he you know slowly but surely grew into a full-time role with me Um, and then yeah I mean at this point I can't remember like who came first and what order but you know we have ads people we have Google AdWords people we have podcast people we have you know, salespeople and coaches and video people and whatever. So there's about 10 of us, basically. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been awesome. It's definitely been a learning curve. It's a lot harder than I thought it would be managing yeah. people. Like, I've, I've really learned that mentoring people is very different from managing people, especially when you're paying them. Um, so it's been a massive learning curve for me managing the team and, like, balancing my time between doing that and then also the marketing in our business and then also, of course, being on the front end and coaching and stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it's been awesome, and we're constantly getting better at it. And uh, we're, not, we're not perfect with the system yet, but we're getting there.
1: For sure. So, do you have any any words of wisdom to the younger listener who is just getting into the, the beginnings of outsourcing or like bringing additional people onto their team? Anything you wish you would have known when you started doing that about two years ago?
0: Yeah. Uh, find people ideally who you already know and trust. In the beginning, we hired a lot of people who were either you know offshore people. Um, or just people who we knew from online. And it, it's just so much easier when you can actively work with somebody who you can communicate with really well. And you can already trust and know that they're trustworthy and loyal and you, know, you can depend on them. Um, so that's huge. And also, don't get screwed over because a lot of freelancers and people who are looking for these jobs. Um, they charge crazy rates uh, just because they think that they can. So be aware, like don't be afraid to negotiate. Don't be afraid to you know stand your ground and say this is what I'm looking to pay for this role, so that you don't get taken advantage of and you really maintain your leadership position on the team.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice right there. Now, you also mentioned that you're sort of working on, on all these different things from marketing to, to mentoring and managing people to, to working with the actual coaching clients. So how are you able to, to balance your focus, your time, attention, and energy between these different things that might be all vying for it?
0: It's not easy not easy um i think ultimately what allows it to stay organized and for me to maintain the same energy and excitement about what i'm doing is just because it's like genuinely super fun for me um i, I love doing this work i love building this business i love making money like i have no shame around that and yeah. i really feel honored to have gotten to this point and like i, I think if that just keeps me going and it, it provides the space and the energy for me to maintain it basically whereas if i thought was toward anything or i you know don't get me wrong. Once in a while, I'll get burned out. and I need to take a month off and yeah. do that. Um, but for the most part, it's my genuine passion and excitement to serve the people that we're serving. Um, plus, Asana is a great tool for uh, team management and my own management. And just like keeping my brain sane um, is really massive. And, uh, you know, taking the time for yourself is, is really important. Whatever that is for you, whether that's like working out or watching Netflix or going on weekend trips, whatever it is, but like really carve out the space. There was a while where I was definitely working, you know, seven days a week, uh, like long hours every day. And it was okay on the one hand, because again, I love my work. It's really fun for me. But I knew it wasn't sustainable. And that became apparent very, you know, very quickly. So at least take like one day off, Oh, and also another thing I recommend doing, um, every Sunday, sit down with yourself or if you be a business partner or whatever, and uh, we do something called what, a money meeting. So hmm. you just get clear on like, what are your goals for this week? How much money did you bring in the week before? What are your goals for the next week? What are you going to achieve? What is your, what I like to call your champagne moment? So basically, no matter what happens in the next week, even if it's the worst week ever, if one thing got done. What would that one thing be that you would be so excited you would like go to the corner store and get a bottle of champagne? <laughs> so, you know, get get clear on these things and then you go into the week with so much more clarity and focus and knowing where you need to prioritize.
1: Mm, that's so true. And for me, like, yeah, doing stuff on Sunday for the week ahead, doing stuff the night before for the next day. It's just like knowing what I want to do with that next period of time so that I don't get there. And then I'm just sitting there like, oh, well, I could do this or that or maybe this other thing. And just realizing like, okay, this is the game plan. This is what we're going to follow. These are the goals that we want to hit um, has been super, super effective for me in really staying on track for sure.
0: Totally. It's massive. And it's such a small thing. You know, yeah. it takes it's like a few minutes the night before. Um, but there is nothing worse for your self-esteem and like just getting overwhelmed and waking up in the morning and having no idea what the hell you want to do.
1: That is so true. Now, Lena, I do have some questions that i like to ask all of my guests before we wrap up the show. Are you feeling ready for those? Born ready. Awesome. Awesome. I'm stoked. And you're providing a ton of value so far. So I'm really excited to get into these. The first of which is, uh, what is something that genuinely has you excited right now? This could be in your business, in the world of coaching, or really just anything that genuinely has you fired up.
0: Yeah, uh, right in this moment in time, we are actually a part of a mastermind that has a few international events a year, and we go to the next one in Greece in a week, so I am super excited for that. I'm just ready to collaborate. You know, there's 10 other couples who also run high six figure and seven figure businesses together. Um, and we're just going to mastermind the hell out of the week. So I'm excited.
1: That's super cool. I I love that a lot. Um, do you have any, do you have any habits or just things you do on a regular basis that help you get to that next level, either in your business or your lifestyle?
0: Um, I constantly seek advice and support from the people around me. Uh, if I know that I'm not asking enough questions, like between a period of time, I go crazy and I lose direction. So Constantly have those people in your life, you know, they say that you can become uh, the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So just make sure that those people are always challenging you to think bigger, to think smarter, um, and pushing you along your journey. So that's a big habit. And like I said before, uh, journaling, putting your crazy thoughts on paper and getting clear about the next steps.
1: Mm. Any advice for how a younger listener could start surrounding themselves with those those high-level people?
0: Um, yeah. Like I said, be kind, be real and bring value. So for you, that could, that could mean a lot of different things, right? So that could mean doing something creative, like writing an article or some kind of a blog post featuring that person or asking them to be interviewed on something. Um, or identifying a need that they have in their business just as an audience member observing, filling that need without questions asked, and make it easy for them. is really important. Um, a lot of the higher level people, don't be afraid to invest in their programs and their coaching. Like, again, some of the very best and highest level mentors that I've worked with, I've shelled out the money to pay with them because I knew the value and I knew the relationship would serve me over a lifetime. So don't be afraid to uh, put your money where your mouth is when it comes to building those relationships.
1: Now, I know you're putting out a fair bit of content across different social media channels. Um, Is there any content that you're currently consuming right now, whether that's a book, an audio book, a podcast, YouTube channel?
0: (sighs) That is a really good question. You know, nothing that actually pertains to business. I actually like receiving a lot of um, ideas. Actually, that's not true. There are two people that come to mind. One of them is Brooke Castillo. Even though I'm not a life coach, you know, she's the founder of the Life Coach School. Uh, I think her podcast is amazing and her business model is incredible. Um, And then Cara Lowenthal, who is the uh, host of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, which is hysterical and brilliant and will like change anybody's thoughts and really transform their lives. So that's how I got into thought work was via Cara. Uh, So I would say those two are at the
1: top. Mm, super cool, super cool. Now, one thing that I'm also super curious about as well is what the different guests that I have on the show do that, that doesn't scale. So to give you some quick context of what I'm talking about, one thing that I'll do every single day is I'll hop over on Instagram, um, I'll check out my new followers for the last 24 hours, and I'll send like five to 10 video DMs to just new people that have, that have got exposed to my content, just being like, hey, Lena, how's it going? Thank you so much for the follow, I really appreciate it. Let me know if there's any way that I can add value to anything that you're doing right now. Have a wonderful day. And that's something that I choose not to scale. I don't have one of my VAs come on and just send those out for me all day because that's not what I want to be doing. Um, I want it to be the start of like a genuine one-on-one conversation. So is there anything that comes to mind for you? Obviously, as a coach, you're doing a lot of things that are one-on-one and not super scalable, but any, any specific things that come to mind um, as far as things that you choose not to scale and keep pretty personal?
0: Okay. So one thing that we've been working on that I don't necessarily have a scaling plan for yet, but I don't really care because I'm just mm-hmm. so excited about it and loving it. So over the past six months or so, we've been working with the designer to put together like a 90-day planner for entrepreneurs and uh, marketers that basically you can map out and basically scale and achieve any goal in 90 days. So it's a quarterly planner, um, and it includes everything from like content calendars to, you know, ad rollouts to campaign plans to all kinds of great stuff uh, specifically for, yeah, businesses and entrepreneurs. So I don't have a scale plan yet. But I assume eventually I'll figure it out. In the meantime, it's just been a super fun thing to put together and stepping into the physical product world, which I don't have any real experience. And uh, it's just it's been an awesome learning experience. So That's super
1: cool. I love it. I love it. So Lena, again, I just want to thank you so much for spending your time here in Young Smart Money. Where can our listeners go if they want to learn more about you and uh, what you're currently doing with LEC? Where's the best place to follow up with you at?
0: Yeah, for sure. So you guys can go to Lenaelkins.co. You can follow me on Instagram, Lena Elkins Life, and you can join my Facebook group, Millennial Go Better.
1: Awesome. And I'll be sure to link up all of those in the show notes for this episode as well to make it extremely easy for you guys to find all of those amazing, amazing resources. Lena, do you have any last uh, words of wisdom or closing thoughts that you want to wrap out the show with here today for our listeners?
0: Execution over perfection. Stop overthinking things take action, learn, ask questions, receive real life data. That's the best thing that you can do. Just keep taking steps forward, stop consuming, start start producing.
1: Mm, That is the truth. Lena, again, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you choosing to spend here on Young Smart Money. It has been a pleasure.
0: Yeah, thanks so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Young Smart Money. If you want to support the show, you can do so in three different ways. You can subscribe, you can leave me five, and you can share this episode with a friend. To subscribe, all you got to do is click the subscribe button on Apple Podcasts. To leave me five, All you got to do is scroll all the way down to the bottom of the podcast page for Young Smart Money and click on the write a review button. And to share with a friend, all you got to do is screenshot yourself listening to this episode, post on your Instagram story, tag me, and I'll be sure to repost it in my Instagram story as well. I love giving you guys some attention who are listening to the show. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the next one.